Welcome to Never Rewrite. I'm Isaac Askew. And I'm Jeffrey Sherman. And today we're going to talk about strategies for upgrading software. So Isaac, why do we need strategies for upgrading software? Can't we just tell the things to always use the latest version and have it auto download and build <laughs> and we'll be fine? Uh, you can. You can decide not to pin versions and package JSON or Composer. Uh, and if you do that, uh, it'll upgrade for you <laughs> whenever mm -hmm. you deploy through your pipeline. Uh, and then it, depending on how you've pinned those versions, it might upgrade to something unexpected, uh, a new major version. Uh, and that new major version, the developers of that particular software may have decided, oh, we don't like the way we built it the first time. We're going to build a brand new framework that's even better and faster. And so we need to kill off all this old code we don't use anymore. And unfortunately, uh, your old code might be some of the code uh, they kill off. So some of the functions, let's say, like in a in React or Ember or something like that in JavaScript. How about uh, Angular? <laughs> Angular, I think there was Angular, and then there was <laughs> Angular two, and then they went to Angular four, which was a hark back to Angular one. Oh, they didn't like they 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 killed Angular to be replaced with Angular two, and then that then they had both code branches going forward, and it, yeah. it's what killed Angular as a as a, a competitor to React. Is Interesting. I actually, believe it or not, I never really got into Angular. Like a friend of mine was really into it back in his heyday. Um, but <clears throat> I ended up never really uh, toying with it at the time. And then I got thrown into Ember for a bit and then to React. But uh, either way, same concept. Yes. Uh, they're going to decide, oh, we're going to remove some of these functions or change the lifecycle hooks or do something like that. Uh, and it's going to impact your code base. So whenever your code, whenever you have your unpinned versions in your package JSON, like upgrading you to that new version, uh, it'll break. Your, your application will break. And so that's why you should be concerned. That's why you should think about your upgrading paths and be careful about how you upgrade. Well, isn't it uh, just, hey, it'll break, and then you'll have to pin the version to something that doesn't break. But you know, you'll know because it'll the method signatures will change and your functions of calls will break or something. It'll be very obvious, right, that something has gone wrong. Yeah, it will be, and depending on the size of your... Actually, yeah, this is all, all going to be kind of a dependent conversation here. If you are a you know a company with 100,000 users daily, you probably don't want to get to the point where you just found out <laughs> after you upgraded, uh, and it was very obvious that it broke because you, know, you have 100,000 angry customers reaching out to you about it impacting their business software. They use this every day, and now they can't use it to log in and do X, Y, and Z, and they complain. So you can do that uh, if you're in a small project and it's just you and you're letting your mom test your new uh, website idea and it breaks for her. Uh, it's probably a little bit, you know, you can be a little riskier with how you upgrade. You can not pin it, let it break, and then she'll let you know. Uh, so it certainly depends on your company, your audience, and your own business's risk tolerance. But uh, there is an easy way to do it, or I will say easier way that's more gentle than just willy-nilly upgrading everything. Okay, so what's an easier way? Yeah, the gentler way is, uh, there's not a name for it, <laughs> maybe, yet. Hmm. And I've actually kind of like been looking forward to an episode like this so we can kind of workshop some of the steps out and maybe we can flesh out a particular order of steps. I mean, um, you had me at naming. I, I love naming things. You do, like DC ship. <laughs> you <laughs> like shipping. your names. But yeah, th there's, there is a somewhat of a process that I'll do, uh, and that I've done in the previous, in, in pretty much every time I've needed to upgrade something, I go through this process. Um, and it's not the perfect one. And again, it depends on your company and all these things I mentioned before about risk. 
but it's worked with it works it's worked for me so far um so step one if i had to put them in the steps uh and i won't but the first thing I, I you need to do before you start upgrading something you need to really understand what you're upgrading like the, the products that you're upgrading uh you can't prove that it works as you expect it would work post upgrade if you don't know how the software is being used or what it does so if you're a random contractor that would join a company and someone says, hey, I want you to upgrade uh, the CRM that we've built. And they go, OK, and throw them on the project and they upgrade PHP or something like that. How do they know it works? Uh, they run the test. tests, right? That's always yeah. perfect. And everyone's got 100 percent test coverage, right? Yeah, <laughs> right? especially integration uh, tests. Sure. Uh, <laughs> so a lot of people don't have full test coverage or any sometimes. So the only thing you can really rely upon in those cases, um, and even even if you can't, you still should know uh, how the like the happy path basically of the product. You want to know like if it's creation of deals and adding context to deals and closing deals and adding values to deals and all those kind of things for like CRMs do. You want to know a little bit about that product. So once you upgrade, if you don't have adequate test coverage, you can at least step through and go, okay, I can still make deals. I can still do this. Well, you know, move it to this pipeline, yada, yada, yada. There's some method by which you can test without having an entire like, oh, we got to refactor and test everything as part of your upgrade. There's a way to at least sanity check your work. So before you get thrown into trying to upgrade something, at least understand the general concept about what it is you're upgrading, what you've been asked to do, and what a successful upgrade looks like. Would another way to say that be... You, you should get a minimum acceptance test. Sort of, you're going to upgrade this. Here's this product. This is what it does. And this is the minimum acceptance test. Like it still has to, all the happy path has to work to before we're going to say that this thing is upgraded correctly. Or yeah, is that yeah. not not enough? Again, the enough depends here. Like uh, mm -hmm. if, if people say we need to get this upgraded very quickly because of maybe there's like a compliance issue or some kind of security patch and you have some kind of turnaround for how quickly your company expects to have that thing patched and you just know you have to upgrade in 30 days, something like that. Uh, then you can be a little riskier with how little your happy path tests. And again, it depends on like we mentioned with the audience too. So you have to use your best judgment with the team, with the company, and with the actual project you're given to make that decision. But yes, uh, in general, having a basic idea, basic happy path flow of, okay, these are the most used routes. Analytics might help you actually too. These are the most used pages, the most used features of our application. If those work, then that's fine if a couple other things are missed because they're not as important. We're trying to get everything, but we can't be perfect. So let's go mm -hmm. ahead and test the most used parts and write at least some kind of plan if we don't have automated tests in place. Okay. So now I understand and I know what needs to work for my upgrade to be acceptable. Next step is to uh, upgrade everything and see if it builds. Uh, and then deploy? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not deploy. Uh, yeah, you, you attempt the upgrade. That's for sure. So there's there's a few method so like before you actually attempt i guess upgrade is kind of a generic term there's a lot of things that go into it but you would look into what you're upgrading so if you're upgrading a major version of a framework like php or react or something like that then uh, i would at least go through as a developer and check the change log if you're like there's usually a change log for the very 
big important used frameworks out there and they'll let you know uh breaking changes section um, so some areas are deprecated they'll be deprecated for a bit finally they'll kill those deprecations so they give you a long time you know to actually work on those things but you should at least l give it a look over and see oh, oh i'm you know these particular functions are no longer there let me check my code base and see if i'm using those things uh so like in PHP, for example, one of them was like, an, I think money format versus number format or something like that mm. was like one one of the ones that was replaced uh, in in years past. I don't know how recent this is. Uh, I just remember. So step two is not attempt. Step two would be kind of. Investigate the upgrade. Investigate. Yeah. That's a good yeah. word. Yeah, I was going to say, try to, to figure out what you think is going to be the problems. Right. Get, like, yeah. get ahead of. So understand, then investigate. Yeah, at least do it. I mean, you could also do it if you have a, a local running version of this. You could just go ahead and bump the version and then check and give it a sanity check. Uh, but it, it's a, it's a reasonable thing just to go ahead and check check the change log. You know, you're gonna you're gonna run into those issues. And then also one thing I want to highlight there is a one to one replacement of like if you if they say oh don't use this particular number format, use money for, or, format or, or use vice versa. It's not necessarily the where you can go through every case in your code base and replace it with the exact function. And the reason I say this is because a lot of times code bases unfortunately rely upon previous bugs. So a previous function might have been implicitly casting something or doing something mm -hmm. to your code that you did not expect. It was fixed and it's more precise in the new version or the new function they've given you. And then in replacing it, you actually cause a bug. So relying upon bad behavior of old functions that may have been replaced because of that bad behavior can trip you up. So don't okay. just go, oh, I've replaced every single function of this with the new recommended one. I'm good to go. <laughs> Let's go ahead and upgrade. Uh, you still have to do your generic happy path testing after all these one-to-one -one replacements. You do need a QA process in place, whether it's automated tests, happy paths that you manually go through with the team, uh, or some other QA team that might be looking at it and trying to help you test. Interesting. Yeah, I thought you were going to go a very different way because if it was me, and I have not thought about this a lot, the first thing I would do is I would bump the version and see what compile errors I got. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't read anything. I would just bump the thing <laughs> and see. <laughs> not a YOLO because I don't intend to release this, but just bump the version, see what breaks, like what just absolutely doesn't compile. Yeah, uh, and get use that as a starting point to figure out where my problems are. Right. So you you can do that, but again, even if it does compile, it might it behave in unexpected ways. Right. right. And so you need to go through at least read the change log and think, oh, oh yeah, I read that line that was saying this would be anticipated behavior. Let me go check this other page that was using something related to that, just in case. So it doesn't really matter the order you do it. If it doesn't compile, you still got to go through and read the change log. But if it does, don't, it's a false positive sometimes. <laughs> so right. don't, don't fool yourself. Okay. So I'm understanding, I'm investigating. It would three then be, I'm going to go with uh, refactor or actually do the upgrade changes. I would say uh, getting close to that. So, so another thing in no. between okay. that might be, <laughs> well, maybe, maybe. Uh, another thing that I, I need to call out here is, uh, sometimes your system is already throwing exceptions and already logging all kinds of 
oops, this has happened. We don't know why it did that kind of thing. Mm. Um, so depending on how new you are to the team, if you upgrade it and then you start seeing those exceptions and bad logs, you might think you did that. <laughs> you need to find a way to discern the old ways the system was failing versus the new ways it would be failing after the upgrade. So you have to so reduce the errors. noise. Yeah, you have to know your errors. So whether that's like if you just use loggers and you want to go through and see the number of logs that you see on a, on a given day, uh, the types of logs, that kind of thing, or you use something like Sentry, which is what I would probably use for exception handling, um, you need some some way to filter that noise. So what I would normally do is I would install Sentry, put it on... If, if it's a framework, that's fantastic because you can install it a lot easier. <laughs> Sometimes mm -hmm. it's like a bunch of PHP scripts that are not part of a framework and you have to install Sentry on like every page because <laughs> there's no way to kind of like start at the top of the funnel Sentry alerting. Yeah. But at least you can go ahead and I would install that and put that into production because that's like that's your exception monitoring system. Put it into production, check the logs in production, and then start kind of investigating how your system currently acts. Again, that, like you, that's you crazy talk. <laughs> the idea of oh we should you know exceptions should be exceptional and we should have some understanding of what's going on in production that that's crazy talk uh it's it's, it's very reasonable <laughs> uh, and there's plenty of other platforms out there for exception handling that you can kind of like use or, or any other methods yeah but no when i lived when i worked in finance mm -hmm. if there was an exception in the production logs it had to be investigated and then when I moved from finance to ad tech, the mantra was if 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 our number and the other counterparty's number was within 10% of each other, we would just chop and meet in the middle. And exceptions were <laughs> meh. <laughs> so it's very different yeah. philosophies. Like I mentioned, risk yeah. tolerance, probably very different between finance and ad tech, right? Yes. Um, exception handling, very different. So these rules, no one's, if, if anyone tries to give you like the solid rules that will work in every single case, eh, you know, raise your eyebrow because it's going to be different. But these are general rules to guide you. Either way, understand how your system's behaving in some form or fashion. That way you can discern if your new ways, like once you see new exceptions, did I cause this with the upgrade or oh, does that exception always get thrown? Which again, it's mm -hmm. kind of silly, but it happens in systems and you have to know which exceptions are normal. So that's step two. Uh, reduce the noise three. you can compare or step three again i don't like doing steps let's bullet right. point next bullet I, point. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm writing your steps for you you're you're okay. pontificating excellent thank you well you're brainstorming and i'm writing <laughs> cool all right so the next one while you've got uh production kind of collecting your new logs and exceptions that you maybe weren't monitoring before Mm -hmm. uh, at that point, I would probably just go ahead and bump the version locally um, and then just go ahead and see how it builds, play around with it locally, uh, replace any functions and you were, were deprecated, um, especially like if I find like, you know, one of the ma major happy path areas was impacted by a big uh, function change swap deprecation kind of thing. Uh, go ahead and make that change and go through it locally as a sanity check and then throw it into our, our staging environment if everything looks good. So I'm going to, I think, disagree with you. Well, I've seen something I think would, would work better. Okay. Uh, I have The place I'm at now, what, what they're doing uh, for this kind of work 
is they've actually doubled up the build pipeline. So mm -hmm. they've got one build pipeline going with the current version and one build pipeline that's allowed to fail going with the new version. Yeah, because then they've got some number of tests that fail on the new version, right? While also confirming that everything goes fine for the first, for the current version. Uh, and then this lets them kind of thesis ship that, hey, you know, I've got a hundred tests that fail on the new version mm -hmm. and I need to fix them, right? Before I can upgrade. But I also don't want to have this giant work in progress where I'm fixing and making all these changes in, in isolation. Right. So you could redo the code, hopefully, in ways that allows both tests to fail, like the current version and the new version. Mm -hmm. And then slowly, you then gain confidence because now you've, you're knocking out the tests one at a time over time. So you, you get much smaller changes and you get the, you know, the code goes into production immediately. And you also know that you haven't caused a regression. Uh, and then eventually those two would converge and you yeah. at least with all your tests would be green. You're like, okay, all I test now passed the old version, the new version. So I'm now confident that the tests pass, which isn't <laughs> the most confident thing, but then at least you know that you've got working code in both versions, compiling code in both versions gotcha. before yeah. you actually. That's a, that's a good method too. Um, there's a lot of different methods people have out there. And, uh, you know, if, if you've got a mature enough team to where you can set up uh, or like a, like a DevOps team that might can help you out with setting up pipelines like this or multiple, I've seen like staging versus development environments. I've seen ones that every time you open an MR against production, it builds a, a, like a development one for you. Like an environment mm -hmm. is automatically spun up and you can go to that environment and test. Uh, there's like a ton of different really creative ways to test. Um, but I think the simplest way for me is just to put it on a staging environment in some form or fashion, whether whether you set it up against that for running this test or not. Uh, either way, putting it up in a version where it's a little more realistic than local, but not quite production yet, touching production data is your intermediary point where you can go through with your QA team again, your happy path mm -hmm. flows, uh, and see if everything is working as expected now that you have things looking slightly more in parity with what production would be. Okay. And then what? Then uh, I usually, what I've done with the past few projects is leave it in staging for a bit. Uh, a bit can d differ <laughs> or depend <laughs> also depending on your company. Uh, so you, you could leave it in staging and have a couple of other staging clients that would be consuming that server, for example, uh, in production. You could start pointing those staging versions of that to talk to that server. Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe start with like the least risky, something that's like, uses it but it doesn't use it uh in an egregious degree like a webhooks kind of thing that might hit it every now and then or just some kind of some kind of way to touch it with a small client and then uh once that if it's looking okay then you can start swapping everything over and then like maybe reaching out to other teams and saying hey uh your client that you use that you know talks to this thing that i'm upgrading is it still working for you as expected and kind of find a way to QA it with different clients that are consuming it uh, in your team. So it's another another way of validating things before they would go live. So I think you're saying like an incremental release. So if you've got a service-oriented architecture, upgrade one service at a time. And, and, you know, starting with whatever you think might be the least risky or the least usage. Well, not necessarily you know, upgrading each one. It's, it's more of like if, if I have a server that I've upgraded... Mm -hmm. And I have, and I know there's 10 products across my organization that use that server in some degree. 
if there's a staging environment for each of those, then I would have one of the teams swap over, not necessarily upgrading their version, but just pointing to my uh, to my like the, the deployed staging version that I have. Okay, I think that's that's a, like a blue green release, right? Where you you've got the mm-hmm. old one and the new one, and you've got one of the servers. Yeah. Got, so so if you had ten instances, you'd have nine on the old and one on the new. Right. You can do that. Um, so you can basically you can either upgrade. If you have like one staging server, you can upgrade that and have everything point to it one by one. Mm-hmm. Or you can do what you're talking about. You can have uh, two versions of staging in staging. One of them is staging normal version. One of them is staging upgraded. And everyone else is still talking to the old staging because they need that for testing or for demos or something like that. And then you have each client swap to talk to the new uh, staging instance one by one until it looks stable. Then everyone uses that one and then you spin down the old one and that's like a pretty that's a pretty good method i think is spinning up one alongside it in staging rather than just like bulk upgrading because that's i think that's a little gentler so this seems like the kind of place where company politics or not necessarily Mm -hmm. politics but maybe conway's law is gonna start biting you where now you need to get by and across the organization because like oh look i've upgraded this thing and mm-hmm. now you need to test your integration with me. Yeah. Other people, you know, from experience, other people are like, well, that's a, that's a you problem. That's not a me problem. And it's not on my roadmap <laughs> to test your changes. So just make sure it has no changes, no impact, and then we're good. Yeah, I could see that definitely getting into some interesting team dynamic territory. Uh, I fortunately have not had that experience recently. I think um, most of the folks I'm working with recently understand that, you know, if we need to upgrade a a server version because of some compliance issue or security bug or something like security patch, uh, it might be the case where it's on the clients to be compliant with our new changes as well. As long as you're communicative with your team and say, hey, this process is required by us. It's going to be a, you know, a tricky situation where we have to get this done in less than 30 days because of X, Y, and Z. We're going to upgrade our end, but we need every team to be attentive to these changes as well so that we can do this safely and securely once we get to a production environment. Please over-communicate. If you, know, you run into any issues, we are upgrading. Let everyone know we are upgrading and swapping clients one at a time. I think as long as there's good communication there and a healthy dynamic between your teams, uh, it's reasonable to do it this way. If folks are saying your team has to be responsible for both the server and every consuming client that exists company-wide, that is unreasonable to me. Well, it's not I have that you have to be responsible for every consuming client. You have to be responsible for not changing how the consuming clients work. Mm-hmm. So you do what you need to do and make sure that the outputs are exactly the same. And yeah. then I don't, none of the consuming clients need to change. That might be the case sometimes, but there might be cases where, uh, I guess like, for example, you could upgrade an environment and then the way that messages return to you are now different. They're in a different JSON structure that you know has like a, a message versus error code and that kind of thing. And it gives you some information around what happened to your system. And if that format slightly changes, you could either A, go, ah, never mind, even though the people who maintain this and upgrade the system decided this is a better, more consistent error format, I'm going to map that back to the old format such that every down 
stream client is still happy with it. You could do that. And that might be more work going forward to make sure you keep this one little patch in there. Uh, mm -hmm. Depending on your team, that actually might be the right solution. What you're talking about where you don't impact you, you ensure you don't impact any downstream client. It might be the case where you want to change those formats because those are better and more reliable. And so you ask each team, hey, we know this is changing, this air format is changing. Going forward, all future major releases are going to expect this format. We don't want new things that we spin up to use one format different than the old ones that you've got now that we're patching to use the old expected format. We want everyone to upgrade and maybe even give them a timeline, which they can mm -hmm. upgrade and then call what they're using deprecated, that kind of thing. So there's, there's as long as you're communicative about what's going to change and, uh, you know, let folks know that either they're going to upgrade or, or you need to provide them some way to patch it for them, you're good to go. Just don't scare people. <laughs> don't throw things into staging and break stuff suddenly. If you let people know I'm upgrading this thing and it might break your thing, then that's one thing. And you can test for that. But just don't surprise them. Okay. Now, all of these examples have been where you're up against some hard deadline, right? Like mm -hmm. you compliance has said that there's a thing or there's a security hole or whatnot. But let's say it's a much less pressing thing. Like I think I just saw Java 24 came out. Mm -hmm. And so if you're on Java 23 or 22 or whatever the one of the lower versions is, there's no particular pressure to upgrade the to the latest version of Java. Like you need to do it at some point, mm -hmm. but it would be very easy for me to push back and say, ah, it, it's not worth my time to help you upgrade your version of Java at this time. And yeah. you're like, yeah. And I'm like, you've got like three or four years to upgrade. So I'm not doing it now. Yeah. I'm going to answer your question by slightly deflecting it. <laughs> okay. Generally speaking, if that's the case, it's not prioritized. You're not going to get to the upgrade anyway. If it's the case where it's not pressing and you don't have a deadline, you're probably going to be given new features to work on, bugs to fix, work that's going to be higher priority to help the current client. You can be future facing it as much as you want to. Um, and I, I personally am someone who likes to keep up to date with the latest changes, but we're not going to, like, most companies I've worked for are not going to upgrade just for the sake of being on the cutting edge, because that can be risky. There could be new things that are actually not fully tested or need patches to begin with. Mm -hmm. And they don't want all the developers working on upgrading something. If it, you're on a, like, a, um, what do you call that? It's like a long-term support kind of version of something and mm -hmm. they have time to keep delivering their new features. Right. Yeah. yeah the. Certainly, well, not certainly, but yeah, a huge difference between being on the bleeding edge of saying, oh, Java 24 just came out. But if Java 24 just came out and you're on Java 22, mm -hmm. probably time to start really thinking about <laughs> getting out to Java 23. Yeah, I don't disagree. Um, and so I'll play it as a hypothetical. And again, the reason I've answered the way I've answered is because in every single case so far, if the upgrade wasn't something pressing, it didn't get done. So this in, seems in like my this, cases. This seems like step zero. Uh, <laughs> well, so step one you said was understand the the change. Mm -hmm. Step zero is understand that there has to be a change of you know something for you need a reason to upgrade. Yeah, right? it oh, sounds yeah, like absolutely. generally speaking, you have to there has to be a reason, right? Either the version you're on is end of life, or there's a security issue, or there's a compliance issue. 
Yeah, there needs to be why is upgrading right now more important than our other metrics that are trying to help us survive as a company. And you need to make that argument. So that's a good idea. It's a good step zero. Okay. So going back to the future, (laughs) we, we had the incremental release of now you've incrementally released this change into your stage environment or your recent stage environment. You incrementally confirmed that it worked. Now you release to production? Well, yes, in a sense. I think the way that I've done it most gently uh, is doing a similar concept with the staging one where you spin up a version of it with the upgraded, a version of production with the upgraded code mm-hmm. and put it next to production. And it's still, it, it would be talking to the same database and doing production-y things, but nothing else will be using it currently. Mm-hmm. And then do a very similar process. You you find the, the least risky client. You've already sanity checked these things. You've already QA'd this in staging. You already know the happy pass. So at this point, you're reasonably sure this works well in production. So I, I don't want to make it seem like we're just testing again. We've tested locally. We put it in the staging. We've had everyone in staging swap the clients to use it. We've been using it in the staging, let's say, for a week or something. Mm-hmm. Everything looks fine. No issues. We've looked at the exceptions, uh, the noise old versus the new, there's nothing new. Everything seems to be humming as expected. At this point, I would spin up the new one in production next to the actual one, swap over one production client to use that, and then gently over the course of the week, kind of start moving it to that as well. Mm -hmm. All the time, monitoring for exceptions, monitoring logs. And if those things look good one by one as they're swapped, uh, at some point after you swap the last client, you can go back over to your production old, inspect it and see if there's any access logs, if anything else is still using it. And once the last log comes in, as you're swapped over, uh, then you're done. You can let it sit there for a bit, monitor it for any other incoming logs that you didn't expect. Maybe there was one service you'd forgotten about, so keep it up for a little bit longer just to check. Well, that and never once... happens. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then once everything looks good, I would I, I honestly, at a, an abundance of caution, leave it up for a good while, just in case there's some long-running process or something that happens longer than a week that you didn't expect. Um, and then once that's good, spin that one down. Your, your new one's your new system. Of course, there's all kinds of things that can happen in between, unexpected stuff, but that's generally the, the kind of easy path that I've seen the last uh, three or four upgrades have done. So it seems like I wrote down eight steps for the easy path. Come up with a, you know, know why you're upgrading. There has to be some compelling reason that it's worth putting the effort in. Mm-hmm. Understand what the change is investigate what type of change, like what you expect breaking issues to be. Know your errors. So know, you know, know, know thyself, know the system <laughs> that you have so that when you do an upgrade, you know whether or not errors are new. Uh, set up on staging so you can now be running it with the rest of your stuff and slowly cutting over and incrementally cutting over the clients. Uh, then incrementally, then put it up in production as kind of a hot standby, and then incrementally uh, put code over to it, uh, and then shut down the original. That sounds about right. And and of course, there's there's all kinds of nuances here. You know, like my method might not be acceptable depending on what company you're at. That, that mm-hmm. could be too risky for some people. Like we have way more checks than that in place. Um, there's nuances like too uh, considering traffic. You know, maybe you want to do all this uh, at a low traffic time. 
and you you don't want to do an incremental swap over one by one or some people like you know we don't have the resources to spin up all these extra environments you know we're trying to save money here or something you know mm-hmm. you're fast paced let's just do a cut over at night you might do it that way and if you're a younger company that's really fast paced and you don't have a lot of clients you can be a lot riskier with how fast you cut over because you can spend a lot of developer hours doing this super safely and that's really expensive you multiply every developer that's on the project times their hourly salary, you know, for the for however long it takes to do it. And that can be super expensive. And they could be like, well, what's the fast way to do it? Business, somebody in you know, the business could say, what's the fast way to do it? And you could say, well, it's risky, but we could wait till Saturday night and just swap it over and just see what happens. And that might be OK. <laughs> you know, as developers, we might be scared to do that. It might seem super unprofessional. But if the business signs off on it and it's worth the risk to them. And the impact I think you say Facebook low. does, right? Break, move fast and break things. So Facebook does it, it must be okay. <laughs> it depends. <laughs> it depends on your company. Like move fast and break things is actually super legit for a lot of companies. You're like, I don't care. Oh, they're like, oh, it broke in production. What time was it? Oh, you you upgraded at midnight. Oh, there was one person impacted. I don't care. Do it. It's fine. All right. Did you fix it? It's fixed. Great. Okay, let's keep going. And that's all they care about. You could be working for a huge company and they have tons of processes in place. We're not even going to let you upgrade this unless you increase your test coverage first. So again, this is this is just a loose set of bullet points that kind of help, mm-hmm. have helped guide me. And this is what's worked for me for the last you know 10 years. This is the way we've done it and we've had pretty good success doing it. But there's always ways to improve it and there's, there's trade-offs on, on which method you decide to choose. Yeah, I think the, the method and framework you've got is pretty legit and solid the sort of the uh, uh, edge cases i see are all around the human interactions mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh, from from my experience you know your upgrades are not my problem uh, is a very large issue that i've encountered over the years yeah that to me that's a, t- a team problem and if you're really all in trying to get this moving forward everyone's going to jump in and try to help you get this thing upgraded it's going to be a team effort if someone's like yeah, oh you, that's you haven't worked team... a giant Fortune 500 companies, I can tell. Because uh, there, there, no. you will be like, oh, no, no. Yeah, this could be, I've worked yeah. in a ton of, st- mostly just startups Yes. Uh, for 10 years. And this is, this is definitely coming from the mentality of startup, move fast, this kind of thing. Right. Uh, and then like the our teams team. are small enough. Yeah, the teams are small enough to where I can get this done. So sure, you're absolutely right. If, you know, the naivete of not knowing, you know, the huge companies plays a part here. And once I work there, <laughs> I will understand the problem there. I will find a good method. And I'll say, actually, if you're at this company, maybe you should do this with your team first. And, you know, but generally speaking, if you just communicate with your team well and everyone's on the same page and everyone understands why this is an important goal, that helps push the ball forward. Awesome. I think we could keep going down an infinite number of rabbit holes on this, but maybe we stop it with the, you know, we've got the seven points, the seven point plan and leave it there for today. That sounds good to me. Awesome. Thank you for listening. I'm Jeffrey Sherman. And I'm Isaac Askew. And this is Never Rewrite.